0: Hey, my name is Akash Dakar, and this is Sound Business. This is the podcast where we dive into the mindsets and methods of some of the top musicians, sound designers, or audio creators in the world. We're gonna interview everyone from plugin makers, performing musicians, video game composers, and everything in between and learn how they run a successful business and how they're making a killer living in the worlds of music and sound. My hope with this podcast is that you can be exposed to the many myriad different ways there are to make a killer living in the worlds of music and sound and help you realize that there's no one right way to get to the top. And with that, let's get into the episode. My guest today is thomas powers who is a vocalist guitarist producer songwriter and frontman for the band the naked and famous while thomas is currently based out of los angeles he got his start in new zealand forming the band the naked and famous back in 2007 and soon after forming the band they released their monstrous number one chart-topping hit youngblood but on top of his success with the naked and famous thomas also produces for other artists and is in the midst of launching his own solo music career as well. In this interview, we talk all about what the life of being a touring musician and a chart-topping star is like, and we also talk about what's needed to keep a sustainable musical career going, and what's next for him in his music career on top of his already successful band. So without further ado, let's get into the interview with Thomas Powers. All right, so I want to hear, just to start, all about the initial phase of coming from New Zealand to LA. I want to hear about that upstart, about the practice it took, about the very idea of saying, all right, well, let's try this whole pop star thing. Let's make a band and go over there. I want to hear all about that. Gosh. So I was
1: already making music as the Naked and Famous with my girlfriend at the time, Elisa. We were releasing music for a couple of years before we had sort of any international success. We were a band from 2008 to 2010 before we kind of blew up on the global stage. And so like leaving the country honestly was never on the horizon for for me. I didn't, I I was scared to like go outside. The idea of going to another continent was, gosh, it was just very foreign to me. I didn't, I didn't know how to do it. I I wouldn't know where to go. And at the time, like New Zealand groups were known for basically going to England or or Australia. But really that was, uh, I mean, I say groups, I mean like indie rock bands, like that's, that's what they did. Is you did a stint sort of around, you did a tour in England and then you came back home. And so, yeah, the sort of international scale of the of the band was was very like when it was happening. It was like whoa, whoa, what's going on here? And we were just we were really just chasing the success of uh, a single uh, that we put out called Youngblood, Blood, which was our you know it's the biggest sort of song we the the Naked and Famous has ever released. We put that out and then it was just we were just chasing that and then our debut album came out and then it was a very successful album. And yeah, we were just thrown into the kind of global touring circuit if if that even is a thing. But, um, and we, we spent two years touring, so we didn't have like apartments or homes or anything for about two years. And then eventually at the end of that, we decided let's settle down somewhere. Where should we settle? Los Angeles seems like a good place because we'd been here so much, and every time we came it was quite fun, and we sort of liked the climate and and yeah, so it was a semi arbitrary decision in fact um Luna, my partner, was making fun of me the other day because she found an interview with me where I'm like totally dissing and ragging on bands that like move to l a like I'm making fun of them like, oh, we're never going to be one of those bands that so just like you know move to l a after they get successful <laughs> and then I did that. So yeah, that's, that's my very, very brief and messy explanation of it. But yeah, it was, it was a chaotic two years of moving around and promoting the music before I decided to come here.
0: Okay. Yeah. So like, it was kind of the big hit that spurred you into that thought process of thinking, okay, well, maybe this is possible.
1: Absolutely. Yeah. I was so like, uh, the kind of person that I am is that I I, I was not a person who was like, oh, I want to go and visit Greece. You know, like I know people that are like that. They're like, oh, I want to go and visit this place. And I'm like, where would you stay? Where are you going? What are you going to do when you get there? Like, I don't know that place. I've never been there before. How do you know that you want to be there? Like, I, I'm so <laughs> nervous of making those kinds of decisions. So yeah, I, I didn't know anything about the international music industry. And it's, it was a different time. This is pre social media based music industry that we see now you know this is on the cusp i remember being told this just as a of reference when i started out this is like my record label at the time we signed to an english label called fiction records and the head of the label said that the market looked like this it was like 80 percent physical 20 percent digital as far as like sales that one the time we signed and so that has changed to basically i don't know what it is it's like one percent physical sales now you know and we don't sell music anymore we stream it very very different landscape
0: yeah so like when you have that i'm curious then because you had a big hit and it's kind of on the cusp of social media and you've had many hits since but is there pressure when that first one comes out of oh god we have to make lightning strike again like was that a worry is that something you thought about or did you care at all
1: absolutely yeah was huge pressure and i think I believe personally that any group who's ever had that when they talk about it, I've seen interviews and it just looks like sour grapes, you know, you know, they're saying like, they'll be like, Oh, so I'm so done with that song or whatever, (laughs) you know, and, and they have this attitude towards like, I know Radiohead were very anti Creek, you know, like they they wouldn't play it live and stuff like that, which I'm a huge Radiohead fan. But I I think that to me that looks like sour grapes, you know, which is, it's a defense mechanism. It's a form of, you know, putting up resistance to having to do something that maybe is difficult to admit was an accident. It's difficult to say, I don't think I can do that again. You know, I think that it's like you're knocking your own ego right back to the ground. I've not been able to come close to even the success of young blood. that's like a double platinum song now. And I don't have any other double platinum songs, you know? And I think there are rare moments for many artists where they do that. They just—it's just like right time, right place, and the songs usually happen in like two hours. You know, they just—they just come out like that, and then they change your life forever. You're just fiddling around making a song, and then all of a sudden, it's like, oh, by the way, that happens to be the best thing you'll have ever done. <laughs> it's like—it's a humbling experience, but I, there's not—you can't really plan for that. I was really troubled by it. it. It definitely caused me very great and deep mental distress, and I, I experienced. My first real bout of serious mental unwellness and mental health issues was kind of based off dealing with all the success that that came with that. Yeah, I mean, I feel like I could just like fill a whole interview with with sort of anecdotes about how weird that experience it is. But also, you know, I feel when you can get through all that stress, it's like this is deep gratitude. All I ever wanted to do was be a musician. And I, I got to do that because of this one song. And I'm like, wow. I'm sort of amazed that I did it. You know, <laughs> like I, I'm like, really did I how did I do that? I, I don't remember anymore. You know, I feel distant from it.
0: Yeah. So it's it's interesting then because you know, some artists will have the big hit and then, you know, there's the old phrase of one hit wonder, right? They'll kind of die out right after that. No one knows what they've done other than that. But you've sustained a completely sustainable music career ever since. Like you didn't stop. Thank you. You kept making music. You kept trying it out. You kept making new stuff and all your new music is still great and fantastic. And we'll get to that in a second because I love Recover. But you have kept it going. You have a true music career instead of just a flash in the pan. So what does that look like? What made it so that this career actually stays going? Do you have practices? Do you think about this in certain ways? Do you have an amazing accountant? Like, How, how are you making <laughs> it like going for longer than just one or two hits?
1: Yeah, wow. I mean, thank you. That's incredibly kind of you to say. Um, I think it's all of those things you touched on. I think, first of all, I think the main thing is you have to be motivated, really. I think you say that, but I kind of would love to have been a one hit wonder because I feel like <laughs> <laughs> I feel like as well, wouldn't it just be great to have made so much money that you never had to worry about working again, but then no one remembered who you were <laughs> It's like sort of wonderful, but um yeah I, I never had that kind of success, and also I'm not trying to sound full of shit, but I've never cared about money insofar as as long as I've had enough to not worry about having to have another job I've been happy and as long as I can do what I'm doing I find that to me was the success that I could only have dreamed of you know when I was like 20 I was like god wouldn't it be great not to have to work you know work a day job and I was weirdly just so depressed as a teenager at the prospect of having to get a regular job I don't know why I've been such a Absolute sook about that, but like I am so sensitive to that, that idea of working for someone else, and it was a deeply motivating factor in wanting to be an artist was wanting to do something that I found meaningful and fulfilling. So as soon as that baseline was covered, I was just like, Great, well, then I just have to do a better album this time. I was like, all oh, the bills are paid, that's fine. I can go to the dentist. I can go to Trader Joe's. perfect. That's all I want. I think now I'm getting to the point in my life where you know, I think finance, like when I was in my early 20s, it was very much do or die, you know? And I really, really was oblivious to finance as long as as long as long money was coming in, I was happy and good. And I, and I spent a lot of it back on the band. Like I would really push the budget of the live show to the point where it, <laughs> I wasn't making any money, but it didn't matter. I was like, look at these lights, they're like, great. So that was all that was important. But now I, I, I feel like, the landscape has changed so much that I, I think all artists are thinking about money more because it, it has so much to do with how we present the music, how we put it out, the mediums that we're involved with, the distribution. Um, you know, so it's hard, it's hard not to now, even though I'm getting older. And I think that's part of getting older as well is, you know, thinking about life and, and, and your level of comfort, security, and all that stuff. But I don't remember the question. Have I answered it? <laughs>
0: Yes. I was just asking about how uh, you sustained your music career. Oh, yeah. Right. But
1: yeah, I think the do or die attitude. If all you care about is doing the thing you want to do, you know, you have that on your side, you you know, and then it's just a a matter of opportunities, a bit of luck. But my granddad always said, (laughs) he would always say something like, you know, talent is common. All you really need is perseverance and determination. So I kind of remember that. I was like, thanks, granddad. I can't tell if it was a backhanded compliment because he was like, Thomas, listen, you're not good at anything, but if you work hard enough,
0: <laughs> you'll do all right. <laughs> well, it turned out to be true. So all is yeah. well. Yeah. He knew. So you, he, you, knew. He, he could he, tell. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm curious then, like, What does the practice look like? Like, what did it look like when you're starting out in terms of, you know, getting better at writing songs, getting better at singing, getting better at playing guitar, getting better at production? And how does that look now? Like, what were the routines like back then? Was it like 12 hour days, nonstop writing, jamming, all that stuff, like playing your scales, getting mastery of that, whereas now it's something different? Or what did it look like back then versus now?
1: Yeah, great question. That has a lot to do with where I'm from as well. I think New Zealand, it's a small country. It's a small economy compared to the US and the music industry, at least the one that I participated in, that I feel relatively confident still exists today, is that everyone is a, you know, the saying, jack of all trades, master of none. That's very much what New Zealand's music industry looks like. So you don't really become just like a mixer. You know, people are mixers and then they're also in a live band and they do a bit of this and a bit of that. So I am not good at anything, but I'm persistent enough at lots of different jobs where I can do a good enough job in those multiple places. So I don't even know what I really consider my first trade. Like I don't know whether I'm a songwriter, am I a producer, am I an engineer? (laughs) I feel like all of those things for me are part of the same identity, so I don't really separate them. And early on in our career, it was kind of like that. By writing a song, I was figuring out how to play the guitar. And by writing a song, I was figuring out how to produce a song. And by producing a song, I was figuring out how to engineer it. And then somewhere in the midst of all that, I realized that when when I was trying to get everything to sound good and balance it out, oh, I was doing a bit of mixing. And then to try and make the song presentable to the label, because something that musicians always do is we hate showing half-finished work. So it's like, oh well, now I've got to learn mastering as well, because I want this to be loud enough. So yeah, I'm so goal-oriented that I could never focus on one lane. And so I was always just jumping around. So, But the one thing that you mentioned there was rehearsal. One thing that we did do early on is I made everyone rehearse. (laughs) I was really the whipcracker, big bossy bully band leader. And I made us rehearse a lot so that when we began to tour and play shows, we were always a good live band. And that's one thing that helped us Is that we were a touring machine. We could play lots of shows, good at festivals. We we put on a really good, solid rock show, and we were seen as like an electro pop band. But we'd play live, and people would always be like, "Wow, this is actually this is a rock band." Wow, I didn't I didn't kind of click. I thought this was going to be something different. So I, I found that being sort of live act as well was always something to do when you didn't know what else to do. So if you're stuck in the studio, you can go and rehearse. You can lean on each other and. Now it's just it's back to just being Elisa and I. We we had a live group and now it's just the two of us. But you know when we go out on tour, we we will be a group again. There'll be more players.
0: Nice. So yeah, you're you're this high end generalist, and I like that because I think a lot of musicians nowadays kind of have to be it it seems weird to find a musician who like doesn't at least know a little bit about production or a little bit about releasing their work or a little bit about the business or a little bit about gathering all those royalties and stuff so i'm curious is that the kind of advice you give to new up-and-coming musicians is it something else what do you kind of tell them when people are like i want to be just like you tom what do do you kind of tell them first off if anyone ever says that i'm like
1: (laughs) call the police like you know (laughs) Someone's making a very poor life decision. (laughs) I agree that I I think the idea to never stop learning and never cease attempting to master your craft is basically the best advice. It's the most general advice, but I think that's the most practical and useful because even now I'm still, I feel like a novice. I feel like an amateur. I feel like a a fake, you know, like my best days are behind me and I have to sort of like learn everything from scratch. Every time I update my operating system <laughs> <laughs> and nothing works anymore, it's difficult because I, I both love the idea of helping and giving advice to younger musicians, but I'm also somebody who's a bit hesitant to sound arrogant or, you need know, to offer opinions apropos of nothing. But I'm additionally somebody who feels like I'd love to share what I have because I wish someone had shared it with me. And I mean, you know, you've done a TED talk, you you know what this can be like. You know, you'd be far more skilled in, in collecting your thoughts than I would, but it's hard. It's like I want to say something general and then nothing more because I don't want to sound too specific. If I had the chance to be specific, I'd be yammering on for days.
0: <laughs> People would like that. That, that <laughs> advice can be that advice be good. So I'm curious then. I'll ask you a more specific question. Yeah. Because most musicians or artists in general have these like huge down periods of just like pain, and it feels like garbage and nothing's coming out, or they're working a day job that's like, killing them like it's just like moments of depression or just feeling down. Are there ways that you found to kind of work through that pain, those down moments, those troughs?
1: Yeah, I quite like IPAs, and um, (laughs) I'm a big (laughs) big red wine fan as well now I am but yeah, there are lots of ways. And not all of them work for all people. I think that novelty is a really, really useful tool for some people. Elisa, my bandmate, the other core member of the Naked and Famous, her and I write all the songs together. She's the lead singer. She's the rock star at the front of the show. She responds very well to novelty. She's a real kind of like she likes to move on and do something new. And I'm a sort of fixer and a completer and I'll obsess over something. And I think between her and I, we we kind of, I've noticed this is quite common. There are two types of artists. There are people like me that will sort of keep chipping away until it's like perfectionists, basically. And then like more like the pure creative artist spirit where it's like, she's like, I'm done with that. I want to do something new. I want to come up with a new song, a new idea, like just onto the next create. It's like kind of chasing that creative Dragon, you know, um, <laughs> chasing the dragon. So she, she's like that. And I have to remember that I'm different to a lot of artists. I find I respond to novelty and I need to shock my own system sometimes because being that perfectionist, I can get very bored of what I'm doing and it gets draining and exhausting and repetitious. So I think novelty is really, really key, especially for someone like me. So that's like a problem that I being the kind of creative type that I am that I face. And then I feel like I've noticed for artists who thrive on novelty and doing new stuff all the time that th- they sometimes suffer from waiting for inspiration. And I feel like a technique that's helpful for that is, I-, I know it to be the Nick Cave <laughs> technique. I don't know. I think this is even just a rumor. I don't even know like where he said this, but the idea of you show up to work. So just showing up to work, Is so important because you can't always count on inspiration to strike. But if you're there at the office when inspiration does strike, you're gonna be ready to jump on it. So I think it's kind of a healthy balance, right? It's like moving when you're inspired, being ready to be inspired, showing up prepared to kind of receive that inspiration, put yourself in the right environment. I, I think I think I try and sort of sway between those two positions. Right now I'm stuck in the perfectionist space where I'm just like finishing and tweaking and overanalyzing stuff and I'm going a bit bonkers and I know I need soon to give it a rest stop and just start fresh songs fresh ideas and be very very careless about it and like quick really quick you know like oh that synth is good enough brilliant next part you know like i need to move 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 and i think the oscillation between these two things has helped me learn a lot one is more about songwriting and being vulnerable, and then the other is about kind of like mastering the craft and getting things done, because I think even even drawing those two sort of parallels, those two types of creative people that I know, um, I I feel like if you are someone who responds to or naturally is driven by novelty, those people also can struggle to complete something because it is kind of boring. It is kind of tedious and it is hard work and it is a labor and you do have to sort of self-discipline.
0: Nice. Okay. I'm curious then about like, so you have the craft part of that kind of pushing it and then sometimes switching between novelty. But I'm curious about the release part now, too, because, you know, maybe you have songs done or they're almost done. When do you start thinking about that whole process of like, okay we need to think of music videos, we need to promote, we need to think of social media. When does that come into it and how does it play a part in your process? Yeah, it's a great question. I've had to learn how to do that
1: because I grew up in a generation where you could do that afterwards. And you could delegate some of those jobs to other people. And there was more of a separation. And now there isn't. And I think, I, I, I don't know what happened, whether it was that people just got more comfortable doing everything themselves or being involved more in different aspects because the technology has just made it so that we can all get into Photoshop by watching YouTube videos. You know, we, I'm a little bit old fashioned in that. I was like, oh no, someone has to study directing to be a music video director. So I kind of like distanced myself from it. It was like, oh, I shouldn't be doing that. You know, I, I, I'm not qualified. <laughs> so I had to train myself and learn so you could have kind of, kind of abandoned that and dive into aspects of the job that I don't necessarily feel 100% confident. But I've loved doing that. And I co-directed lots of our most recent music videos. And I love being on set and I love being in the editing room now. And I really like doing like Zoom sessions for artwork. You know, so now my brain is there along the way, but I'm still a little bit old fashioned. And then I like to make the work, promote the work. And some people are okay, kind of doing everything all at once and more chaotically, which I think the industry demands now. I am talking about, you know, like popular music, Spotify releasing vocal artist kind of culture, but I still think there is something really genuinely special about coveting your work and getting it right and then revealing it and releasing it as one sort of big thing. I, I just, I'm more traditional in that sense. And I do feel like the incentive to be more consistent, you know, like content provider, content provider has been driven a little bit by tech, not artists going, I really want to be content providers. It's that Twitter says, if you do this, we'll reward you with the dopamine machine. The guy from Spotify, that arrogant, bugger who said that oh you know artists needs to just put out more music like waving his hand around as if we've just got the time and the energy and the ideas for him at his hand-waving disposal to do that so so yeah it's it's frustrating because it's like i both want to participate and i want to combat it but also i don't think combating it is do- going to do anything i don't really think i have the power to say hey everybody slow down let's stop oversaturating ourselves because you know someone's going to go no and i'm just going to take that space so yeah releasing is Probably now the hardest part, I think. It's the most difficult part. The music making is easy. Putting it out is frightening. If you do it wrong, you miss the opportunities to be on a playlist. No one sees it. You don't get any PR or long-league media, and you've just released your song to an audience of no one. And that's very devastating. And we're kind of seeing that now as well, that on the streaming services, unless you get these playlists, you slave over this piece of art that gets no attention and the numbers are crazy you know like here's the song that you made a video for and here's the streaming numbers and here's the album cut that you love and is really really deeply meaningful that some could be someone's favorite song and it just doesn't get the eyeballs because there's a hundred things coming at the listeners every 40 seconds so releasing is very stressful i find it to be anyway
0: yeah, it's an interesting thing. It's almost like every song I see, even individual songs I see, it's like almost like an iPhone release where people are talking about the song, not just once. They don't just release it, put it out there and say, all right, enjoy. There's, you know, build up posts before it even comes out. After it comes out, there's little cuts of the music video. Yeah. Even beyond that, there's posting of like any interviews or media that they got as a result of that single song for maybe even months after one, two minute, three minute, four minute song. Yeah. Do you like have, I assume at this point you would have a team to help with that, or is that 100% still just on your brain all the time?
1: You know, you'd be surprised that uh, we do have a team. We've got lots of people. We have management. We had a wonderful creative director who worked with us on Recover. Her name was Jory Teplitsky. And she like co directed with, with us and did lots of animation and design we always have people helping us out and there's there's obviously the label and the label services, you know, there's people that can do that stuff, but something that became really apparent, I think in about 2015 when all these companies were popping up, these social media management companies is that they don't work. It needs to be transparent for you to connect with people. People can tell when it's your management posting on your behalf and all that stuff. So that I feel like very quickly, we all, we all realized, we ran that experiment and I was like, Oh, that doesn't work. Um, traditional advertising attitudes and and marketing strategies don't work in this realm. You either do connect with an audience or you don't. The thing I think now that we've learned, the second lesson is that, okay, you get these companies now saying, oh, you need to post more, post more, Put, put yourself out there. And that doesn't always work. If you're not someone that naturally wants to share your breakfast, lunch, and dinner and everything, every crap idea that pops into your head every 40 seconds, if you're forcing yourself to do that, it will seem forced. It won't work. You won't connect. Unfortunately, it's this. I feel like the hard lesson we've learned is you're either a social media person or you're not. And it's, the sooner you kind of accept that and stop trying to pretend that you're something you're not, the easier the job gets. It's challenging. And the other sort of misconception that is helpful to learn very quickly is that, and you hear this from different sort of places in the music industry. You know, like again, places like labels or you know maybe even even certain i I, I would say labels is the easiest thing for people to understand, but you know that they, they want their artists to be posting and connecting and sort of building a fan base via their social media as if it's going to grow the fan base. And if you're already a person who is really good at social media, then yes, you'll grow your fan base. but if you're a musician and you're trying to grow your fan base in this kind of inauthentic, contrived, or like Hmm, how do I get more followers sort of way it's just not going to happen because weirdly the social media aspect of being an artist now it's like if you get really successful for something a song having a big moment that's how you get all the following right so it's like you're an artist first you make great art then you get all these followers and then if you have a big moment like if you're nominated for an award or something then you get lots more followers it's very rare that people go oh I know I'm going to be funny on Instagram and all of a sudden I'm just going to have like 50,000 followers. It doesn't work like that. It's not a good strategy either because if people are following you because of some kind of personality, that's no guarantee of fan conversion. If I like a funny person on Instagram, I'm, I'm not going to go and be like, oh gee, I really wonder what their music's like. Like I follow them because they're funny. you know. <laughs> I'm not like, well now now I really want to learn everything about this person. So I think we're learning that lesson now in the industry that it's like, It's a little bit unpredictable. I don't think you can engineer it. I think it's unfortunate. Some people just connect that way. Some people don't. I'm someone who doesn't. It's very effortful for me. I suck at social media. I've tried. I'm not good at it. So I'm kind of just accepting that. And I'm like, you know what? I do art. I don't do social media. I'm an art first person. And that's how I want people to come to me.
0: That's really good. I I think that's super good advice. So let's say when you are in album making mode, then. You know, you're you have so many plates spinning at any given time, like for a recover. We can use that as a recent example, considering that's probably really fresh in your mind. You have an entire album to make. You have potentially fans that you're thinking about. You have the entire release that you're thinking about. What even gives you the impetus of thinking, ah, it's time for a new album after however many years? Like what makes you sit down and say, all right, let's bust our asses on making this album, which is going to be sometimes a slog because an album can't be easy to make and also go through that whole process. When do you even start thinking about that? And what do you even start thinking about when that comes up?
1: Gosh, uh, it's a difficult thing to answer for me because I don't want to deter people from listening to my music, but it's, it's kind of like life. It's really hard to pin down as one thing. I feel like for me, I started... When I was a teenager, really wanting to be in a band, and then I committed to that, and then it was successful, and now I have this feeling of, "Oh, this is what I do now. <laughs> There's no option to do something else." And that doesn't sound like a great reason. It's not exactly like the inspiring reason to listen to someone's art. But at the same time, I've built my whole sort of like life and personality around who I am and what I do. So it's, not, it's not, not a big deal to me. It's not like it's not the most important thing in my, in my life. It is. But if I look really hard as to like what's the motivating factor, it's like, well, I've just known no other life. All I've ever wanted to do is make music. So to me, it seems obvious. It's just like, oh, well, that's, that's who I am. That's what I do. I don't really have to go looking for a motivation. I'm just like, as soon as I get through the album, it's like, oh, shit, I better start making another one. Like, And I don't really know where that drive comes from, but it's just, to me, it seems obvious. Like, of course, I need to make another album. And then at that point, it is just a matter of pragmatism. You know, how am I making it? What's it about? And that's it. It's just like figuring it out day by day. The motivation to be an artist, I guess, I take for granted that it's always been there for me. But it comes back to maybe what I was saying before about my existentialism at a different lifestyle. It would seem almost impossible for me at this point in my life to imagine doing something else. I've just—I'm not qualified in any way, shape, or form to do anything <laughs> <laughs> other than be a self-obsessed artist. So I, I just don't—I
0: <laughs> don't—I don't know what else to do. That's got, there There's a professionalism to that, though, where you show up and you do the thing. There's like—it doesn't have to have this deep moving. Th- reason to just do something to make art to make a piece of music right it's just you show up
1: i mean yeah exactly And i feel conflicted because i do feel like you know again to sort of like f- come back and be existential about it i think that it's like what's the point in civil society and trying to live as a human if we can't do stuff like art you know it just seems like a Well, this is, this is a good reason to stay alive. You know, this is a good reason for the species to (laughs) fight to keep existing, right? So we can do things like make music and write books and have art and photography and all these like lovely, bizarre, emergent phenomenon that we take interest in. I just think like, okay, well, that's a good enough reason in and of itself to do this. But the more I think about it, the more confused I am about motivation and the purpose of things and my reason for doing stuff. So I kind of just don't question it. I'm like, no, this is just who I am. This this is how I am. And I'm fine being a little bit like just doing, you know, and not thinking about it. I don't want to question it too much because I feel like if I do try and source my core root motivations, maybe I'll be discouraged and maybe i will be like, wow, I don't know if I'm doing this for some big moral cause or something. (laughs) I should give up.
0: (laughs) (laughs) I think that's really good, though. I think having the wisdom to speak, well, this is me. And then following that is a skill in and of itself. Cause it's just your intuition right instead of questioning at every turn saying like okay well maybe I should know like you, you seem to just kind of go with it which is awesome I love seeing that it's I
1: appreciate it's, that I'm gonna take your blanket praise and just like <laughs> just hold on to
0: it hold on to it and just be like good uh, I was right Akash said so I'm fine <laughs> I'm the authority on this of course Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> so like you also do on top of Naked and Famous stuff you work in other realms of music, too, right? You, you do production for other people. You have done many, many things. And I'm curious because you sent me your all music link before this. <laughs> and I have no idea what's wrong and what's right on there because at this point, I don't know what to believe. Because <laughs> apparently, our Tom Powers did music for True Blood and also played in The Naked and Famous. <laughs> so <like> it's. Okay.
1: <laughs> so that's true. That's right. Okay. Awesome. But it's what's weird about it is that, hang on, I'm looking right now. Okay, so it says, oh, it says I'm a producer of like yeah, the show.
0: Of the show <laughs> True Blood, which is hilarious.
1: <laughs> yeah, okay, so that doesn't make sense. Or it says I'm a producer on a compilation. Okay, so the Naked and Famous have a song on True Blood, and it was great. It's a song called The Sun. And I remember the scene, I think, it was like right at the very end. And the sun is about to come up, and like some of the vampires are stuck and they're about to get burned alive. And then the the, the credits roll and the song starts. It was so cool. <laughs> and I was like watching the series at the time. So I was like, Mom, Mom, look, Mom, Mom, look. <laughs> so that's correct. But then I think it must have been a bunch of compilations that maybe Youngblood is on. And it's just the credits changed from like engineer, guitar, producer, vocals to just
0: composer. So I don't know what it should be the same thing every time. Right, I noticed that. So, when you are in that kind of uh, realm of working with other people, then is it are you thinking differently than you are with Naked and Famous, or is it a similar process? Like, how do you walk through people working on their art while you're producing with them? Are you are you like part psychologist, part musician, part performer? Like, what does it kind of become? Good question. I
1: have to take off the artist hat and put on the producer hat, which is I like to think of it as working for the artist. Or with the artist not being in charge and not bossing the artist around which is kind of more what i get to do as the artist is to be bossy and to say i want to do this so it's a much more of a supportive role even if i still am worried about my stake in what i'm doing so like if you're producing for another artist you're obviously kind of you're invested in how you are perceived how good is your production did it elevate the songs Uh, you know is this work that people will listen to and think oh that's really well produced or I like the direction that they that they've helped this artist go in so you have it you have that kind of that awareness but you're trying to balance it with keeping the artist afloat and not sort of superimposing your view of how things should be done on top of them you're trying to bring your sort of techniques and your natural creative inclinations to them and hope that they like them that the artist goes, oh, this is great! This is exciting! I've never done it this way, or yeah. So I, I do try and step into the support role more. And then when it's naked and famous, and I find that easier as well. To to be honest, I find it easier to help someone than it is to to be the artist. Being an artist is very challenging. So yeah, and and I've been working on my own solo music at the moment, which is nice because that's a different mindset altogether. I get to just be self-indulgent which is (laughs) fun because when you're working with other people you are bumping into their level of excitement and this is a nice way if you're working on music on your own you get to be very sensitive you get to kind of like covet your ideas protect them and, and feel energized and excited and not worry about someone else in the room kind of validating you or telling you yeah that's great let's go with that if you like it then it's good enough and that's a really nice feeling as well. It feels like a very safe environment to be creative. The flip side of it is that it can be very lonely and also really exhausting. Whereas working with other people, I think you can lean on them. You get a lot of natural energy. You know, someone gets excited about an idea. I mean, the most typical example of this is, you know, I play like a really boring little riff and someone loves it and just thinks it's the best thing ever. And so you go, oh, great. Well, that I've got permission, just like the permission you gave me before. I'm like, cool okay, I guess I don't suck. Brilliant. I'll move on then. <laughs> Whereas when you're on your own, if that boring little riff doesn't tickle you, because you know we can't tickle ourselves, it's just like, oh, well, I guess it sucks. I'll do it again. And I'll do it again. And I'll keep going until, oh, everything sucks. And I don't have that validation. I don't have the permission to go, okay, you can move forward now. So all very different experiences.
0: Mm, yeah, that's cool. So yeah, the mindset kind of shifts a little bit.
1: And I like it. I like trying to be a good producer for someone else. I like trying to be their ally and their friends and their safe space where they, Oh no, it's okay. I trust Tom's going to help me through this. I'll show the half baked idea because he won't make me feel bad about it. He'll, he'll encourage me. Like I, it's a real challenge. I, I love that feeling of being like that person that someone wants to go to. It's, it's a really satisfying kind of work environment. So yeah. I like that.
0: So a few kind of remaining questions to wrap up. I'm curious whether it be with your solo music or even completely unrelated to music. What are you kind of learning right now? What are you focused on learning right now? Where are you? What skills are you trying to develop? I'm wrapping up
1: the writing for my solo album, and I'm going to be mixing it. I'm going to be co-mixing it with someone. So, and mixing is something I've not actively done, but have done just through producing. Like you just you end up doing bits of mixing. So I'm trying to. Mix a record for the first time, which is terrifying, really scared. So, I'm learning that. I feel like it's very technical, but it's also taste based and perception based. So, I'm really trying to do a lot of ear training. Gonna upgrade my studio a little bit, get some new monitors, get a few different, got like six sets of headphones that I just swap between to hear things differently. So yeah, that's, that's the, the latest skill. And then, yeah, I'm hoping that later on in the year I can spend a bit of time editing. I really want to get into editing video. That's something I love. I love editing. I love it in music. I'm, I'm, I'm very drawn to editing. So I'm, I'm thinking about branching out and doing more video stuff. And, yeah, I think I think I need to step out of the music world and, and do some more, like, graphic stuff as well, Photoshop stuff. I think I need other disciplines to help make me think differently what about you <laughs> I realize I haven't asked you any questions because I'm so used well, to it's literally
0: a podcast about the guests I'm not <laughs> I'm not the special person here it's you it's the guest I feel rude oh my god you're such a New Zealander through the <laughs> Canada of Australia like super polite <laughs> way nicer like as a Canadian I get it <laughs> uh,
1: thank you I appreciate that <laughs> and, I, and I thank you and I'm sorry I'm sorry I'm just oh yes so there hard. you go thank
0: you and sorry, sorry. is the way this the, is the way to be
1: <laughs> no, I, it's weird, because I'm used to doing interviews. And it maybe seems contrived sometimes when people ask questions, but I do always feel compelled to ask a question at some point. But I, then I, I, I realize I'm like, Oh, hang on, I'm not sure that the that this, you know, interviewer really wants to answer that.
0: <laughs> I mean, it's all good. But yes, this is all about you're the special boy. You're the oh, special boy today. My special day. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so as a, as a second to last question. I'm curious, and you kind of answered this already, but just to codify it a little, when you were first starting out, you can define that however you want. You can define that as when you're you know, a teenager. You can define it as when you moved to LA. You can define it before you wrote your first few songs. When you're first starting out, how did you define success? And how has that changed and how do you define it now? It can mean anything to
1: mm. you. Good question. I feel like there are different forms of success now. And I didn't have any idea of what success was when I started and I'd say over the past 15 years I have different ideas about different levels of success within different realms so there's obviously financial success which does mean something you know if you can turn your art into a lifestyle that is a sort of form of success that I find gratifying it does feel good to be living and breathing what you're doing even though it's not just about making money you know like because if it was for me i'd be in pop pop, straight pop music but i'm not because that's where the money is right but i'm not someone who can step into a pop session and say some stupid asinine lyric that is going to connect with everyone and there are people that can do that they can just say dumb crap and everyone's like well that's great i'm like this is so corny i need to leave the room so you know, there's financial success to a point, but then there's also, to me, just artistic success and recognition for it. So trying to write something that will be someone's favorite thing, and when you can, when you get a sense that somebody has interpreted a piece of music that you've written the way that you thought you were writing. Uh, a good example would be like, Elisa wrote the song "Recover" off the latest Nicki Minaj album, "Recover," and it's about the loss of her mother and growing up and now and what that's meant to her throughout all of her life. And she wrote the lyrics to that, but I, I wrote sort of the, the bed of music for it, but it's really her song But because it comes out as the band, when I see like fans interacting with it and just the way they'll talk about, they just get it and they feel it. And they'll say, Oh, I lost a parent. I lost a friend. I lost a, a dog, you know? And, and the song just like, bam, hits them in the heart. And it's just like, this is so good. Thank you for it. That is just like, I, I didn't even know. Satisfaction is the word, you know, deep sense of purpose. Satisfaction is what I get. To me, that's a, a form of success that maybe we go back and answer another question. That's That keeps me going. That really keeps me going. That stops me from being too fatalistic and nihilistic and cynical and giving up and being like, this industry is shallow. When I see those glimpses, I'm like, yeah, no, this is cool. I'll give it another try. I'll make another album. And you only need a few. You only need a few of those really to keep you going. So that's success for me. And then again, just to go back and and put it into a sort of more measured position as well, where you can be a working producer for other artists. That's a very nice feeling as well, to be helping people achieve that deep sense of artistic satisfaction and then turning it into your lifestyle as well, making money off it, living and breathing what you do, you know, it's not a job. So those are three kinds of forms of success that I think I sort of jump between um, in my life. And they're all equally
0: important to me. That's a good freaking answer. So thanks. It's a perfect, (laughs) perfect (laughs) place to start start wrapping up. So the last question is where can people find you websites, album names, all that good stuff, social media, everything, share it. Oh, Oh, share away. Cool. So I recently, got the Instagram
1: handle Thomas Powers, so at Thomas Powers, and I changed it from Tom Powers to Thomas Powers. And the person who traded it, there was another Thomas Powers, and I, I sent them a guitar, which was pretty cool. That's awesome. <laughs> I, I reached out and I was like, hey, can I get your handle? Um, would you like a guitar? And then I, I met them actually at like in Echo Park Amazing. here in LA. I was like, I'll just meet you with a guitar and exchanged it for, for the handle. So I got that. As well, did the same. I did the same thing because I've got quite a few guitars. So just hand them out for social media handles for Twitter as well, and at Thomas Powers. And I'm pretty dark on the socials at the moment, but I will be active later in the year when I when I get my solo stuff out. Otherwise, at the Naked and Famous across anywhere, even um, TikTok. Although we're not very good at TikTok, but yeah, yeah, that's the best place to find me.
0: That's the end of today's episode. Thank you so much for listening, as always. And considering I work in the world of video game music and sound, and so many people are always asking me how they break into that field, I have a newsletter set up for you. So if you want to learn how to make music and sound effects for video games and actually be paid to do it, just go to bit.ly forward slash soundbizpod. Sound B I Z pod. And that newsletter will set you up with two free courses and a bunch of free ebooks and even sound effects that'll get you set up and teach you how to work in the world of video game music and sound thanks so much and i'll see you next time